pray for the message, and then we'll get started. Father God, I just pray to thank you for who you are and the message that you give us. And so God, I pray that today as we go into uh, the book of Ephesians and we start our series for this summer, that your truth would come through uh, with me just simply being the vessel. God, I pray that each of us came here to hear a truth and that our heart would be ready for what it is that we are to hear. And we pray and thank you for all this in your precious son, Jesus' in name. Amen. All right, so we are starting Ephesians. We're going to be going through it for about 16 to 17 weeks uh, this summer, which I'm pretty excited for. Um, so to start, I want to talk about a little intro as to why the book of Ephesians was written and who it was written to. Oh, there we go. Um, so we're going to look at the, the who and why. I know, and I thought I changed it, but it didn't. I'm, I'm working on it. All right, so, so the who and why. At the very start of every letter of Paul, he addresses to who he's writing to. The interesting thing of... Uh, Ephesians is it's one of his least personal messages, but he's speaking to a vast majority of people. And so it says in verse one, it says to the saints who are at Ephesus. So Paul is writing this letter to people who are a part of the church. And so there's a lot of church verbiage within Ephesians because he's writing to the people that should know what they mean and should be well-versed in this, right? It says, the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So these are people who should know what to do, should know what he's talking about without breaking it down into layman's terms, okay? And so the why is interesting. First thing is to remind them of the gospel. I think Paul does that very well in every book that he writes it's very gospel-focused, first and foremost. This is who we are, this is why we are, and then this is how you should be. The interesting part about this is the second one. It says, what being a Christ follower truly means. And so here he's addressing the people that claim to be faithful of Christ at Ephesus, and he's reminding them what it actually means to be a follower of Christ. And that's it. It's an interesting thing because in, in our day and age, if somebody claims to know something, we often won't tell them about that same thing. And so for us as Christians, it's the basics. As soon as you say you're a Christian, people probably aren't going to talk the gospel to you because they're like, oh, they already know it. So why should I waste my breath? They'll start talking deeper theological things instead. And uh, I had an interesting conversation with a guy yesterday that I want to, it, it sets this up really, really nicely. He, uh, he made a post on a website about how he hates non-denominational Christians. I was like, okay, why? And he was like, because they don't think for themselves. It's like, okay, that's a broad statement. Let's narrow this down a little bit more. I was like, okay, what does that have to do with anything. I was like, most people in America don't think for themselves. That's just America. We're lazy. Right? And he goes, well, if I ask them if they're Arminian or Calvinist, they can't give me an answer. I was like, you ask anybody that, they're not going to give you an answer. Because they don't care to dig in that deep. And it doesn't matter. 
And then he kept going on and on about how he, people don't know if they're continuists or secessionists and all these deep theological things that he thinks matters. And I'm like, guy, that is separating what the church is meant to be. And he, he comes from a, a very knowledgeable background. Um, and what I, and he just kept focusing on these theological debates. And I asked him a question. I was like, what was it that Christ was focused on? Was it theology or was it loving people to build his kingdom? And he was like, well, there had to have been theological debates amongst the disciples because you can't have a group of people believe the exact same thing. I was like, wrong. You can. I was like, Jesus says a house that is divided can't grow. And if the 12 disciples were divided, then we wouldn't be here today. That growth wouldn't have happened. And we kept going through, kept going through, and he kept reverting back to the fact that he, he didn't like how Christians who claim to be Christians didn't argue theology more often. And so finally, I just stopped the conversation. I was like, look, this is clearly not going anywhere. I'm not going to feed into this anymore. But I left him with a challenge. And I was like, I challenge you to focus on what God focuses on or what Christ tells us to focus on rather than theology. And he had a rebuttal and he said, if we look at Paul, who is our model for today, we see theological debates. And I thought that was an interesting point, especially going into Ephesians, because here Paul is addressing people that claim to be Christians, that, that claim to be faithful in Christ, and he's not arguing theology. It's, this is what God focused on, so do we. And that's the book of Ephesians. And so it's, it's really cool how that came about. And so Paul focuses and, and speaks emphasis into the fact that even though these are people that claim to be faithful and claim to know who Christ is, they still need to know the gospel or be reminded of the gospel because we lose sight of that in life after a while, right? Anything that we do, you don't ride a bike for a long time, right? You go back and you're like, crap, how do I do this? And then the saying, well, it's like riding a bicycle. It's super easy. You just start doing it. But you have to be reminded of doing that at first. Right? And so there's things in life that are so simple that they just kind of fall to the wayside. And we forget to think about them or to have them being the forefront of our mind. And so the book of Ephesians is Paul bringing the gospel back to the forefront of the people of Ephesians, of Ephesus, their mind. And so today... We're going to break down, we're only going 1 through 14, half the chapter, and looking at what it is that Paul has to say to the people. So we'll go ahead and start reading. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. 5 through 9 says, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the 
forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Then 12 says, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's <coughs> own possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay, so the first thing that, that I want to point out is he mentions Jesus, God, or the pronouns he, him, his, or himself a lot, right? So we can clearly see Paul's focus in this section of scripture is the Trinity, God in Christ, right? It's a total of 36 times in 14 verses. That's more than twice per verse that he references God, Jesus, or one of the pronouns. That's a lot, right? So there, there's a big focus on who God is and who we are to him in this section. And at one point he says the message of truth. And so the question that I want to look into today is what is the message of truth? He goes on to say it's the gospel of your salvation in verse 13. But the message of truth is simply the gospel. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the gospel from before, during the transitional period, and what happens after. And so now we can think back to, to our lives when we're writing our testimonies or when we're sharing stories with people. There's generally these three parts. There's the before I met God, the transitional part, and then what God's been doing in my life afterwards, right? And so here, this is Paul kind of saying what, what God's testimony for us is, the gospel of our salvation, who we were before in God's view, who we are during the transition, and then who we are after. And so... This is really, really encouraging. I was, I was conflicted when, when at a, a conference this past semester, we heard someone speak on this same section of scripture, and it was a great message. And it was building up hope within ourselves. And when I was looking into writing this, that message kept coming into mind. I was like, I can't steal his material. But it was really hard not to, because it was really good, right? Alicia probably has some really good notes on it, if you want to know any more about it. But it was about letting you know who you are in God, right? Really powerful. And so what I want to do is, is it's kind of along the same vein, but I want to see what your story from God's point of view looks like, right? We all have our point of view, which is often a lot more negative than what God's point of view is, right? We think a little too hard on ourselves or, or who we were. And so today I want to, 
I want today to be encouraging and look at what it is that, that God sees in us beginning, during, and after. And so to start out, we're going to go verse by verse. In verse 3, right after his intro, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So right from the very beginning, we're blessed. Even before coming to knowledge of him, even before anything like that, because he touches base on forgiveness and redemption later. The very first thing he wants people to know and understand is that you are blessed. Right? And then the second one, he says that we have been chosen by God. Right? How many of us in life were ever chosen last for kickball or in gym class, right? Everyone has, has those moments, right? That doesn't feel good. Well, God has chosen us from the very beginning, and he chose everybody. So it, our God is an all-inclusive God. And so we see that he, he has blessed us with this, this position of being chosen from the very beginning. And then we see in verse 5 it says, In love he planned to adopt us. Right? We look at adoption today, a lot of it is out of obligation. You know, stepdads feel obligated to adopt a, a, a stepchild. Or parents can't have kids on their own, and so if they want kids, the only way they can is by adopting, right? Which are both still great things. But here, from the very beginning, it's God loved us so much that he had already planned to do it. He knew that we were going to be separated, and because of his love for us, was already like, all right, you're coming in no matter what, or I'll give you the option to come in. So we see that in verse 5, and then in verse 6, it says that he bestowed onto us his grace. And he did it freely. One of the best acronyms of grace that I've ever heard, and it gets used often, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Right, and so we're getting all of these great aspects of God from the beginning because of Christ. And that's a lot to take in. Right? And so this is before us doing anything at all. We are blessed, chosen, loved enough to be adopted, and get grace bestowed upon us freely. That's a pretty good starting place. Right? But the thing about God is God always goes bigger and better. And so the transition comes in. And this is verses 7 through 11, 12-ish, right? And the first thing is that we have this ability to be redemptive because of Christ's blood. So because even though we start out as, as being blessed and chosen and loved, we choose to go away. But our Father is a loving Father and wants us back and so gives us a way to come back by the sacrifice of Jesus. 
then also in verse 7 it says forgiveness through grace. And so this idea of the redemptive process is what allows us to then be forgiven. Right? We can also say that the repenting of the acknowledgement of, of what Jesus did allows us to come to forgiveness. Right? And again, it brings up this idea that we are forgiven on the riches of grace. And so again, it points to Jesus. The transitional period of our stories that we share with people and this story that Paul is sharing to the faithful of Ephesus is still the focus on you were something before, then Jesus. And that gives you everything else. Without that, you're missing the big point. And so with the story that I shared earlier about the kid that was focusing on theology, that, sure, have a conversation with people about that. It could be helpful. But the thing that matters the most is Christ and what he did on the cross for us. Right, so then we get into to eight, and, 8 and 9, and this, one, this one's exciting uh, for me, and I want to explain it to you. It says, which he lavished on us in all, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Right, and so here God is saying that he gives you understanding of what his will is. When we make this transition. So before we, we are unknown. We don't know what God's will is. But as we start to make our way into this family. And, and the redemption process and forgiveness. God reveals to us what his will is. And so oftentimes we, we go through life and we're like. Okay God I want to know what your will is. You already know. We just have to open our eyes to see what it is. And that's what gets us most of the time. And I was speaking with my mentor, uh, Ray, earlier this week, and he brought up this same thing, is that Paul says that he fully understands the mystery of Christ. And he's assured in that understanding. And that's confidence, right? I don't know anyone that can speak that confidently about knowing the will of God and knowing what God wants. And yet... Paul is capable of doing that. And now Paul is a very wise person, right? And his discernment level was off the charts. I hope to be there one day. But we have the ability to see what God's will is if we seek it hard enough. We have the ability to understand it if we are willing to actually understand it. But oftentimes we get into a we get in our own ways that make that not be able to happen. And then lastly, in verse 11, it talks about how we have obtained an inheritance. Right, and so we see during this transitional phase, it's Jesus, Jesus, the will of God, and Jesus. Right, it's how we get all of these things. And so again, the emphasis that Paul puts on knowing God, knowing Jesus, and what they were about is pivotal for living as 
a follower of Christ. And so now the question is, what happens after? After we go through this transitional period, after we accept the sacrifice and, and become redeemed and, and forgiven, and we obtain this inheritance, what is that inheritance? On verse 11, we see that we gain a purpose. It says, we have been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Right? There's a lot of people that go through life aimlessly. Christ gives us a purpose, allows us to see what that purpose is, which is the will of God. We gain hope. We see that in verse 12. It says, to the end, and to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Right? And so because of Jesus, we are able to hope in things in future. Even though the world looks dreary and the world looks just messy, we have hope in what the future is. And that future is, is praise and glory to God. 13, it talks about how we have been given the promise and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge of the inheritance. And so he is, he is our seal. He is our mark. Some people call him uh, the receipt, right? I've been redeemed, forgiven. Holy Spirit is my receipt to come back. Right? My ticket. Don't want to downplay the Holy Spirit at all. But it was the promise that we see from the very beginning. Right? God chose us. And the marking of being chosen was the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we gain the ability to bring him glory. Which is exciting. Because life no longer becomes about us, but about God. And the kingdom. And the family that we are all a part of. So to harken back to the story that I opened up with, when we, when we do things to separate the family, we are acting against what it is that God truly wants. Right? In our day and age, we have... All these denominations and sects and, and different beliefs of Christianity, and they separate us instead of bringing us together. The one thing that's cool about Scripture, and if we look at the Gospel, is Jesus was able to bring people together for a common purpose, and that was to love people and to share who God was. And he would do it through stories. It wasn't to sit down and talk about theological debates and to separate people. It was whatever he could to bring people together. When we look at Paul and he goes to all these different areas on his ministry trips, it was never to separate each area, but to bring them all under one faith and into one story that we know as the gospel. And so what I want to end with is, is why 
do we think, or why do you think, that Paul is so focused on the gospel rather than the little minute things that we focus on today? Right? Sad story, I had a friend, he was about to get engaged and get married to a girl, and they broke up their engagement over predestination or free will. What? Why? You both believe and love Jesus. Why does that matter? But for some reason, as people, we make it matter. Right? We see Jesus use predestined and free will in his words. So they're both there to some level, to some extent. Will we ever know? No. So why... Why argue about it? Why separate the body instead of just being like, hey, that's something we'll never know. But we can love each other. That's what we can do. And we can build the kingdom that way. I can have my own personal beliefs. That's fine. They can differ from you. I'm sure they do in different areas. Right? But my job isn't to separate the body, but it's to unite it. And that's what Paul is getting at here. The thing that's, that unites us is the gospel. And to be reminded of that, that God chose everyone. God didn't just choose the ones that, you know, are Calvinists or Arminians. He chose everybody. And because of those things, we live a life to glorify God. Let's pray. Father God, we, we pray to thank you for today uh, and your message and just the gospel. God, without, without you sending your son and without your love for us, we would never be able to obtain any of it. But you, through your grace and, and love and understanding that we are broken people and your love for those types of people is what bring us back together. And so God, as we go forward... Um, and approach your table, just pray that we would remember that it's an act of love and togetherness, not one to separate us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.